Coming up, it was all going so well. The Brooklyn Nets were looking for a two-game winning streak before they headed back home to the East Coast and then the fourth quarter against the Clippers. We break down what was a disastrous crumbling at the hands of L.A. 125-114. We dive in next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there is Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're 100% free on all those great platforms and let you know that LinkedIn Jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions, they do apply and Doug, just when you thought the Brooklyn Nets were going to give this fan base something to cheer about, it's actually themselves who said, hold my beer. We've got a fourth quarter to tell you a tale. Oh, my God. An absolute disaster class. I, like, I don't even know. Uh, there's so many ways we can slice this. This was as bad a fourth quarter as you could ever hope. It was of their own creation. And it they just allowed the Clippers to go absolutely on one. It was a combination of the Clippers just going on a heater and the Nets throwing out a lineup and combinations that we're going to allow it to happen. Like it's a, it's a perfect combination of a group of four guys, specifically the Clippers that have really, really played well together over the course since they've gotten, you know, especially over the last like three or four weeks and a group of the, the nets that's gotten completely crushed already. We already knew and they decide to close with this group and it's so predictable what happens here. It was such a mess. They had the game one. And they legit, like, they literally gave it away. They literally gave it away. Like, they put out a lineup that had no chance. And guess what? That lineup had no chance. <laughs> and the Clippers 41 won. to 15 is the fourth quarter line here. The Nets lose 125-114. So do the hard math. You know what in hand they were going into the fourth quarter here. And obviously, it, I, I think it's only further highlighted by the fact that they were winning this game. They had they started the game 16-0, right? And they continue to maintain a seven to ten point lead throughout. And then we get to the fourth quarter and we get to this lineup, Doug, highlight the numbers and why maybe Jacques Vaughn and the Nets should have seen this coming. Okay, so going into this game, we've already we've highlighted many times that these like Spencer Dinwiddie plus Cam Thomas lineups don't don't really work, right? Yeah. Uh I'm gonna be I'm gonna clear this by saying i actually don't think like either one of these guys are at fault here it's just the combinations just don't really work right it's like these are combo deals and then when you combine the five together who cam johnson who got completely worked in the fourth quarter by Kawhi, um you add him in and you get a you get a five-man unit of spencer dinwiddie cam thomas mikhail bridges uh cam johnson and claxton a unit that, that we have a lot of minutes on because this unit used to be the starting lineup that they went away from because it was getting they were opening games so bad and they were basically spotting their team 10 points every single every single time they started that they made a conscious decision to go away from that group. But maybe and it works they, if you close with that lineup, though, Doug. What's, <laughs> yeah. Go the well, other group, right? Yeah, well, so they decide to close here, and this group going into this game, this group had played 164 minutes, which is a lot. Um, yes. 
especially when you're this bad, because usually units that are this bad don't get to play 164 minutes together. Um, they had a 104.93 offensive rating, 130.4 defensive rating. I, it's as, as bad a number as you'll ever see over this many minutes. From minus 25.9, we'll just round it up to minus 26 net rating. We have lots of data that shows this lineup gets absolutely trucked by basically everyone. And it was it's just so predictable. Dinwiddie checks in with, I think, like four. I'll ch- double check here. Um, he checks in with, yeah, six minutes left to go. This is when they basically start this go rolling with this. The Nets are up eight, 110 to 102. The Nets scored four points, That's and the Clippers scored 23. <laughs> it was they a were 23. Up, they were up 110 to 102, and they lost 125, 114. Sorry. Continue. 23, yeah, a 23 to four run over the, la- the last six minutes. So, because you're basically, I, I'm just like losing my mind with this here, but like you, you're basically running this lineup on the hope that like you can score, right? Because you know you're going to get really, really trucked on defense, but they just didn't either. And so if they're and so they don't, they can't score at all. And every single possession for the Clippers is is points, and it's just how you lose. It's just a recipe for disaster. Like I knew it right when they checked in. I said, "Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this?" And it's just so predictable. Sorry to sound like animated about it. I just hate when the process is bad. I can always live with results. As a fan, I can always live with results if I think the process was good, right? And I know not every fan is like that. I just personally am. I'm like, hey, that was the right move. Like, sorry, it didn't work. This one, the process is so horrible that you deserve to lose. And they did. And it's just like, what do you expect to happen? Yeah, it's interesting, too, because the Clippers scored 24, 25, 35, and then 41 in the fourth quarter, right? And the Nets also increased their scoring output, 27, 34, 38. So the, the interesting thing to maybe further on why go with this lineup, it's like, You've been having success essentially through the first three quarters of this game and and through the start of the fourth quarter even. So to go to something that your sample size tells you has not functioned well together, like sometimes I could even make the excuse of, well, you're down by 15 after three quarters. Let's try anything. Let's go with the offensive lineup. Yeah, we're going to get trucked defensively. You have the lead in this game, right? Like you you are in, in theory, you are in control. You should be dictating terms. Now the talent level, the Clippers, and those stars that we talk about with Kawhi and Paul George and even Russell Westbrook, who had one tonight, right? Like to go along with James Harden. Like, you know, those guys are going to get some buckets and get some shots. But it seems like this lent lent itself for John Fawn to say, I'm going to go with what's been successful all night long. The combinations that have worked for us, we've got some good defensive stops. And listen, if you lose on the margin, so be it. But this almost, to your point, it felt like active pistol out, aim at foot, and just start firing away. Like It it, it seemed like an actively destructive decision uh, on, I guess, an unconscious level, but it was nuts to see that be the closing line that they went with. Well, and well, one more thing about this, I, I, you know, in some ways, I, it's an unenviable position that Vaughn is in. I'm not letting him off the hook here. Believe me, it's a bad decision. Like they should not have done this. He's in an unenviable situation, and they've been like this many times this season, where they have players that don't that that all should kind of play, but that don't necessarily fit. Simmons plus Claxton. Right. right. Like Dinwiddie plus Thomas. Like these guys should all probably play. The problem is they don't really fit well together. That's a problem because you're like going to end up closing with someone that you probably that probably feels like they should be playing or should be playing. Right. And so I get I get sort of why this lineup has been given a lot of rope because it just like on paper, it should be one of your more successful. You want to you right? want to play what you think are, your, are five of your best players. Right. And I, I'm not even blaming Cam Thomas or Dinwiddie for this. Like they're fine, and I, you know, I, I Cam Johnson is going to draw a lot of a lot of complaints here, and it's but it's not like the it's not like the the sample size on the Dorian Finney-Smith swap has been great either. Like these are just these are just the numbers just don't really work. So at the at the risk of going long, which I already have here about just like sort of 
just losing, like freaking out about this. I, it's just, it's just really, it's a tough spot. They didn't do themselves any favors. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions and they just, you just can't keep choosing these lineups. Like they just, they aren't going to work, especially against a team as good as the Clippers who have been sort of like close to championship caliber over the short term. And, and, and no excuses being given here, but I do feel like the Nets specifically because of they, they've lost three, uh, sorry, win four games out of their last 18 are susceptible to self-doubt, right? Right. They're susceptible to, well, what's the right answer here? Honestly, the Nets aren't winning a lot of basketball games. They don't find themselves up late in games looking to close teams out often. They should still be prepared for it. The data tells you you shouldn't use this lineup, but it, it seems like sometimes these moments coalesce for Brooklyn to make the wrong decisions to go along with these combinations. And coming up here in a second, we'll drill down on some additional late game stats for the Brooklyn Nets players, which also make this a difficult spot to be in when you want to lean on your best scores, but sometimes they have not been the best when it comes to late game sequences. We'll dive into that in just one second. All right, before we get to that, make myself feel a little bit better. Tell you about our friends over at LinkedIn. The start of every new year, small businesses uh, owners are asking themselves the same questions. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I love those words. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy. We have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. That's a day for all you math nerds out there. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. All right. So as we continue the 125 114 post game where the Brooklyn Nets could have gotten a two game winning streak, swept LA coming home oh. for a five game home stand. They're going to play seven out of eight at home before the trade deadline. They're going to play we can taste like 11 games at home <laughs> going into the month of February and beyond the deadline. Like everything about this before we get back into specifics on this game, everything about this set up. After all, I mentioned, they've been so bad and lost so many basketball yeah. games. Winning this game would have been like, you know what? You know what? That's right. At the start of the year, we knew this team is talented enough. They have the individual players. If they can just maybe make a little marginal move, all that stuff. In one quarter, not even a whole quarter, a half a quarter. They, they literally eroded any silver lining. The roller coaster yeah. they took fans on today was absolutely atrocious. Like, from we're dominating to start the game, the Clippers surge back, oh, no, nightmare. No, no, no. We're going to do it. We're going to hold these guys at bay for three-plus quarters and then show you an all-time epic collapse. Um, yeah, and you so know, and it's funny, too, because if we had podcasted after the, the Laker game, and sometimes I feel like we run really bad with just sort of like podcasting schedules, and maybe this is why they won. Maybe the, the reason that they won this game lost this game is because of our podcasting schedule. Happy to take full responsibility if that's the case. It is, you know, with this team specifically, we are on kind of a game-by-game -game, uh, vibe basis, yes. <laughs> right? Like, And, like, that's just the story. That's going to be the story of the season. And so the vibes coming out of L.A. are, like, cautiously optimistic. It's like, hey, maybe they went out, they turned things around here a little bit. And for three quarters, I, like you said, three and a half quarters against the Clippers, uh, you would have, you're like, because they actually, it was funny with this game, they – 
really dealt with like every blow. Every time the, the yeah. Clippers looked like they were going to make a run, Nets came down and hit a big shot, right? Got to the rim. They got guys coming off the bench. Like Lonnie played really well. DSJ playing well. Like they, they were really stopping any semblance of a run. So to legit just feel like you handed it back at the in the last five, six minutes is particularly heartbreaking. I wouldn't say I, – I would say this is probably the most frustrated I've been after a loss. I mean – these something's the time these things are a little bit more front of mind, but yeah, man, the vibe check for six quarters was amazing, right? The second, third, and fourth against the Lakers, and the first three against the Clippers, you're giving an A plus across the board, and to have it completely get dumpstered in the fourth is 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 kind of the story of the season to some degree. First, second, and third quarters of the year, I got perfect A's. But in that last quarter, somehow I dumpstered myself and I will be going to summer school. Yeah, like threw uh, something at a teacher and got expelled. I mean, that's what it feels like. Yeah, right, right, right. right. I will no longer be getting education at a higher level. Uh, I also think, uh, you know, Vibes Check is going to be a new segment for the show going forward. There's a little Vibes Check, see how everyone's doing. Now, inside of this, so the other thing that I thought about, which really, this goes beyond the game in some regards because things are going off the rail a little bit. But you mentioned about being in this position of so Spencer Dinwiddie has a good game, right? Like, you know, this started with Spencer Dinwiddie and Mikhail Bridges kind of carrying the early scoring load. They combined to go for 42 points in this one. A lot of that work done in the first half, obviously. Then you mentioned DSJ comes in. Lonnie Walker does some good things for you. Even Cam Thomas, who goes only for 20 points, ends up being a minus 19 in this game, but in just 27 minutes. All of these things, six assists for Cam Thomas in this game, right? Remember along the way when you're thinking, wow, look at these driving kicks from Cam Thomas. Look at a yeah. penetrate delay and draw attention just to a little drop-off pass for an easy jam for Nicholas Claxton. All these little things are building up kind of to say, right, Here's the footsteps of, of, of incremental progress for this team. So when it goes off the rails, though, I do end up going over and looking at, because down the stretch, for everything that went wrong, the Brooklyn Nets still had a chance to win this game. And in those late sequences, when I think Cam Thomas should be the guy, could be the guy, Mikhail Bridges could be the guy, the reality that they don't have a closer was crystallized by the fact that Cam Thomas in clutch moments, so fourth quarter, under five minutes to go, within, within five points, excuse me, in the late game sequences, He's played 12 games. The team's three and nine. Who cares about that? But almost 33 minutes. He has 24 points, but on six of 23 shooting, 26% from the field, just two of 15 from beyond the arc, 13%. Has gotten to the line a lot in those instances, but also has taken four personal fouls in late game sequences and has a handful of turnovers to go along with it. It was one of those things that I think that's the other thing you we were reminded of in this fourth quarter. The Nets don't have the alpha. Like, and it's not that Cam Thomas can't be that guy or that he isn't growing into that guy, but you need someone like a Kawhi Leonard where you go, okay, he's just going to go get us the buckets. He's going to force the issue. He's going to draw the fouls. The Nets don't have that guy. And I think I'm not, I'm not picking on Cam Thomas here. He still is growing into that role. So when you keep clearing out spots and handing him off the rock on very sloppy, you know, top of the key. Uh, pick and rolls from Nicholas Claxton, you're putting him in a terrible position to try and go to be successful in these late game moments as well. Yeah, look, and I, yeah, I want to be really clear too. Like, we're not, we're, we're not, none of this is a cam. Cam was great in this game, I thought. 100%. Like, yeah, part. this is not it's, right. It's like, you know, his career high seven, uh, six assists. Six, I believe yeah. that was pretty sure that was his career high. Um, obviously, passing at double teams a lot more, like not ultra efficient from the field, but I thought like the court vision has gotten a lot better. Yeah, no, yep. these, these, these situations highlight when you're playing against. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and James Harden like that is 
significantly more firepower than the Nets have, right? Like, and so you are going to be behind the eight ball with these teams. Like, you aren't going to have the same kind of championship level, you know, sort of like closing ability that Kawhi for sure has. Harden, I mean, look, Harden's Harden. He's been he's been amazing with this team, right? And then you know, PG. These guys have like just tons of reps of being sort of like all around top ten. Or some guy times higher, unfazed, kind of unfazed in fourth totally quarter, unfazed, unfazed right. in big moments. Like here we go, done this a thousand times. And what becomes also very clear is that like the Nets don't necessarily have a great pecking order. They don't have like it's like there's not sometimes clear understanding what they can do, and they can get rattled really fast, right? Like they yeah. can get taken out of their rhythm really, really fast with this group, and that's sort of what happened too. Like you saw it from the Clippers when they felt it, right? With like six, seven minute mark, like they felt that they're like. There's enough time for us. We're going to win, right? Eight, 10 points is just not a lot in the NBA at this point when you're this good and you're this good on both ends. And you can kind of see it. You can kind of see it starting to happen, right? Like the tide turning. And the Nets, I mean, they probably could have stood the call a couple timeouts here. But (laughs) also, like, they just don't have a good, like, calming factor on their team, right? Like where it's like, hey, we can turn here. This is a safety valve we can get a good quality shot in these moments. They just really don't have those kinds of guys. And right. Mikhail Bridges I, is not a strong enough ball handler to take it. No, in like we, he got his, turns. his handle got super sloppy, like near the Which, end. By, right? by he, the way, a quick, quick aside on that, th- that was noticeable, right? Like very oh, good. Yeah. Game Mikhail Bridges throughout, but yeah. as you got, as, as the intensity ratcheted up in the game, he got noticeably sloppier with his handles and with his control. And, and that's, Listen, that's indicative of, of what it is to be a leader in late game moments, right? It's been kind of a problem for him all year. Sneaky problem that he's lost his handle a lot at times. He's just required to dribble a lot more than he's ever been in his whole career, basically, except for the time that he spent, the short time he spent in Brooklyn. So it's like not all that surprising. This guy was mostly an off-ball player, right, in Phoenix for, for years and years, and he's required to just do a lot more dribbling now. But, yeah, no, these kind of situations, uh, in addition to the – the highlighted sort of combination problem that we talked about at the beginning that like this combination of players does not seem to work particularly well. They have this other problem, which is sort of generating calm, easy, not even easy, calm sort of like plus EV opportunities near the end. Like those become very, very difficult for them as well. They can't get into a flow of the offense. Like they're just not, they're not going to generate like transition opportunities and they just can't, it just it gets just gets way too hard, and then you throw guys like Kawhi and PG into the mix that are going to dial up, or even Russ who really dials up the energy late and like just kind of throws you off your game, and it's just really really problematic for this team. Coming up here in a second, a couple of key late game stats that suggest a different lineup could have been utilized here, and then just a straightforward question about needing someone to bring calm to this team. Dennis Smith Jr. seems like that kind of guy. Let's ask that question as Brooklyn prepares to come back home in just one second. All right, let you know this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, it's the new year. We're getting obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just something just trying to expand on what we're already doing right. That's something that can kind of get lost. It's like you're thinking about those New Year's resolutions. Look, there's a lot you're already doing well. We want to work on those sections of your life and really improve those. Maybe you're trying to get organized in a space. You want to tackle another. Maybe you're taking supplements every morning. But you actually want to start and get yourself up to eat some actual breakfast as well. Therapy helps you find your strengths. So you can ditch the extreme resolutions, make changes that really stick. This is where BetterHelp steps in. If you're thinking of starting therapy, 
give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be really convenient. It's flexible. It's totally suited to your schedule. All you have to do to get started on BetterHelp, you fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MBA today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash NBA. And when you're done with that, head on over to our friends over on FanDuel NFL. Regular season's wrapped up. Playoffs well underway. Even as we speak, it's time to get in the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We've been telling you about this forever. You have to jump on this right now. Over on FanDuel, new customers are getting $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you just place a $5 bet. doesn't matter if that $5 bet wins or loses. You're grabbing the $150 in bonus bets no matter what. Live scene game parlays. You can find bets uh, in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. You're going to find popular ones that other folks have put in as well. So much more on FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, so as we wrap up the 125-114 loss for the Brooklyn Nets, as we mentioned, we'll be coming back home. I want to touch on on that stretch here, and we, we know we got to keep the, the trade deadline theme kind of rolling for the Brooklyn Nets as they make key decisions along the way. But a couple of things here. So you usually talk about like guys that'll, you know, regress back to the mean typically and not, not going too hot hand dish inside of games. There, there's one or two ways you can think about this. Just as we highlight at the top, the, the terrible nature of that five man lineup that closed out this game. Now you can think about guys like Royce O'Neal, who, by the way, when you, when you go with clutch scores for the Brooklyn Nets this season, Royce O'Neal's the best. He's 60% from the field. He's 75% from downtown. Now, he had a terrible game, right? Bad matchup for him. But you could still go back to that well if you want to. Then it goes Mikhail Bridges. Then it goes Dorian Finney-Smith. So options like that. On top of which, if you want to have that calming kind of presence there, Dennis Smith Jr. has already shown the ability for that. I don't know, you know what combination of guys you want to adjust to here in this five-man rotation, but this is the part that, I find difficult to wrap my head around because no sample size has told you not even just this lineup, but in general, no, no sample size of games has really told you that anything is so successful that you can't do something different. And I find it odd that we actually haven't seen more closing lineup combinations because outside of that Lakers game, the nets are not doing a lot of winning right now. I think that they just aren't, are still just not sure. I think that like, if you look at the rotations over the last couple games, and I was actually going to start tracking this because I was going to I was going to graph it, and then I there was like some overtimes thrown in there, and I kind of just stopped because I it, the minutes were going to get kind of thrown off with these overtime games. But if you look at the rotations over the last couple of games, it does speak to a team that, and this kind of highlighted it too, speak to a team that like kind of sometimes I think they don't know if they're coming or going right, right. and I think that like that is actually really the core piece of what's happening here is that. I think they're just not sure because yep. if you look at kind of like their substitution patterns over the last couple of games, I mean, they're wildly different. Like, you know, Harry Giles checks in as, as the second sub against the Lakers. Watford doesn't play at all. They kind of revert back and I get it. You know, you're trying to go big, you know, against AD and company and they try to protect the rim a little bit more and you don't have to do it here. And so I get that there's like some context to this, but if you really, if you kind of dial in on some of these substitution patterns and combinations, you'll see a, a, a group that doesn't like, continuity has been a problem. I think the staff is just like, not sure what totally works. Maybe it's just a combination of guys. Like are just some guys are really hard to play with. Like you can't pair. It's hard to pair Lonnie Walker and cam Thomas together. Right. It's hard to pair like 
I'm trying to think of another example because I use Cam Thomas a lot and I feel bad about that one. It's like not really his fault, but like, no, but like they just have other... Johnson is a weird guy at times to pair with. Yeah, right. You can't players. go like super wing heavy because like you'll get blown by on defense. So if it's like Royce plus Cam Johnson plus DFS, like you're going to be in right. trouble against twos. Right. Like, so there's like, they have, you know, they're overly wing guys that all kind of project three and a half to fours instead of any, anything else. So they have to some degree, some weird problems with that. But then there's also, if you look at like they've had they've run a ton of different they've run a ton of different five man combinations for a team that has had relatively good health. I know sometimes Nets fans aren't going to think that because it's like you focus in on your own injuries and they see more. The Nets have been relatively healthy outside of Ben Simmons. Like their guys have played. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, with Dayron Sharp when I was like, oh man, it feels like it, it, what what's next. But then at the time it was well look around the NBA landscape. Teams have lost far more important players for far oh, longer stretches. Like name any team. Uh, like name any team except for like the Nuggets and teams that are doing it. Like you know, there's been some that have had relative health, but like a lot of every team has basically lost some important player over this course season. Some many players, right? Yeah. Like Dallas has been in one. They've run a million different combinations. Everyone's been hurt at one point. My point, my, my long point here is that the Nets have been relatively healthy and still have lots of five man combinations. I think 66 or something like that all altogether. Because I just think they just like aren't totally sure. I, I think they just aren't totally sure. And this highlights it. I think they just don't know. And they don't know. And they're trying to serve two different sets of circumstances here that do not align. And this game was just such a highlight of that for me. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because it permeates not only organizationally, they don't know, right? Where are they coming or going here? And then down to the players. We, we've heard the rumblings about what's going on with Spencer Dinwiddie. And, and, you know, it looks like he's probably at the top of the trade list pecking order right now. But you're still starting him because you want to showcase him and you want, you know, want him to turn the corner on it. Dorian Finney-Smith, who was so critical early in the season with the injuries, he's four for his last 25 from the field going back across the last five games. He's shooting 27% for the month of January, 24% from downtown, where he has hit in the last five games as well. What is it? 0 for 8, 0 for 12, 0 for 17, 2 for 17 overall from, from deep. And those things matter because even if you don't know what your agenda is going to be come the trade deadline, the theory was the veterans on this roster are what give us our stability. But actually what we see more often than not, and Lonnie Walker is experienced, so is Dennis Smith Jr., but it's actually been some of the younger guys coming in off the bench that have mattered more. It's been Cam Thomas being explosive as the sixth man here for the Brooklyn Nets that have kept them in a lot of basketball games. So it's been hard. I, I think it's hard at every level here. And this goes back to the offseason and what you and I talked about. This organization just refuses to set an, an agenda and a path forward. And I speculated coming into this game where it was with all the games you have when you get back home, even though it's a tough schedule, if you had won this game today and got another couple of wins here, I think it'd be easy for Sean Marks, Joe Sign, the Nets to say, we're, we're far closer to what we were to start the year than where we are, than what we've been recently. And we're going to keep going the line. In some ways, it's like a blessing in disguise to have this type of disastrous quarter against the Clippers when you are just nine games away from the trade deadline. Because it should just crystallize it again. It's not about the individual talent. It's about the collective. So many of these guys can't combine together. Sometimes I, I actually think swapping players out for neutral talent level could actually help this team improve if the pieces fit better together. I, I, and I still don't know at this point if the Brooklyn Nets have that, that intent or that ability to acknowledge that and make those choices here in the next two weeks. Signs point that they don't have that in like that they're that they well, still actually, want two know. first round picks for Dorian Finney Smith. That's the report. 
I think they don't want to trade him. I think that they want to keep. I, I think that they they're and they want to like be able to like bring in someone like Dejounte Murray, and they want to contend for a playoff spot. And I I'm just curious. I'm just that's what I think they they seem to want to do. I, I I unless I'll be honest with you. Short of trading everyone away, I that's that would be the only thing that would convince me. I, like they, I just don't. They're just not interested. I think they they hate the optics on the Houston picks. They hate like how that looks. And yeah. I think that like that's and this was this actually became like somewhat national news over the, the end of last week where multiple outlets were commenting. I mean, Bobby Marks was one of them, um, and there was another one I forget, but they were talking about how it's different than the original situation that Marks inherited, where the the previous regime had traded all those picks, and they just didn't care. They're like, hey, that's not our problem. We, right. you know, somebody else's the, mistake. The, I'm here to clean it up. It was someone else's mistake, and they didn't have to own it. They're like, hey, that was someone else's problem. Sorry, we're just gonna be bad. And we'll start to retool, but now it's his it's his mistake, right? That he's that, and it's this regime's mistake, and now it's going to be much harder to kind of say, and that's to kind of say, oh, you know, we'll just start back over because it's just such a bad look. So I, there's that's reading tea leaves a little more than maybe I want to, but the in general, I think you are correct when you say that this. I, I don't know if you said this, but it's like sort of a wake up call, right? Like, Hopefully, to lose like, right. this. like whatever you thought yeah. you were, you, whatever you thought you could turn around, whatever you thought the Lakers game was symbolic of, which by the way, even just on its surface, take away the names that are on the Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. We know that those are obviously marquee names. Remember that team's below 500. They're 21 and 22. So you yeah. are talking about a different level of competition, regardless of what the name on the back of the Jersey says. So yeah, hopefully like I, I kept asking, kept thinking about this the last week or so. It's is there a point when it feels like, hey, okay, we, we we now know, right? The overtime loss to Miami. Well, it could have been this, could have been that. I think two losses to Portland should be a big signal here, but maybe this type of fourth quarter is enough. And that's obviously a, a preview of what we're going to be discussing here on every off day going forward is where are the narratives, where's the DeJounte Murray trade talk going, and where do the Brooklyn Nets feel like they can make improvements on this team? It, it's going to be fascinating, but I, I so far, you have to make the case of the Brooklyn Nets. There's nothing that could happen that would serve as a wake-up call to the front office because they, we just watched it. We watched the last month. They're te- they've been a terrible team, and this feels like it was an exclamation point and, and a frustrating one at that because guess what? For everything, long-winded to close out, for everything that's gone bad over the last 20 games with the Nets, I was still ready to just be like excited about getting back-to-back wins against two LA teams, right? Like, I'm, oh. I'm I'm craving it. I'm craving anything positive, and they stole it from me in about six minutes of basketball. Yeah, I was the same way. I was like, oh, we're going to – this is going to be a great podcast. We're going to just go these – roll these back-to-back LA wins. It's going to be a totally different vibe. And I jo- – listen to the last thing. But I, we had joked that we had done – it was like a month ago where the Nets had done – we had done a podcast that said, you know, are the Nets actually good? And, th- and then – and th- we, that was the title of the podcast. We titled it, are the Nets actually good? And then and they went on like they were like four and sixteen over the, since that point. So I blame our I blame us. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna acknowledge the mistake and we're gonna come into this thing, you know, with like two like, you know with two wins and, and it will start to turn the tide around. No, no, they 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 stuck it away. All right, we're gonna get out of here. Much appreciated, everyone uh, that's been with us here for years and years now with Locked On. If you are new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe over on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as well. Totally free for you. Helps you helps us come at you every single day for free. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. A person's emotional state or the atmosphere of a place as communicated to and felt by others. Why, that's Oxford's definition of vibes.
Oh, Oxford, one of the all-time great poets. Maybe we're back. <laughs> we're back. Oh, that's cracking me up. We'll be back again. We'll be back again tomorrow, talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball. basketball, basketball.